Thank you, Kathy. Let us pray. Wise and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you today and always. Amen. Last Sunday, I concluded my message with a story about my first grade son, Nolan. And today, I pick back up where I left off last Sunday, for my life of late has been in many ways uh, my children, as there has not been school. And so if I appear redundant, I ask for your apologies in advance. It was March the 29th, Palm Sunday, and we were going to be worshiping here in the sanctuary, but of course there was a stay-at-home order in place, and so our family decided that we would worship together at home, and with all the children around the house, we wanted to be sure that everyone had enough to do, so I shared with my first grade son, Nolan, Nolan, why don't you go and create a bulletin for us this morning? that might include a little bit of the music that was provided, maybe my message, maybe communion. And so uh, he ventured forth in this task and even drew some palms on the front page of this uh, bulletin that uh, my left-handed first grader had created. Uh, I open it up before our worship together and we go through and do the songs and the music. And then at the very end of the bulletin, there is in this uh, first grade handwriting, cookies. <laughs> and I said, well, Nolan, why are cookies in the bulletin? And she said, well, you know, Dad, that's what we do at church. Just following the worship service, we always have cookies. That's like the best part, Dad. <laughs> and so there I was in our living room having to negotiate theologically whether or not cookies belonged in the worship bulletin. But I do sense that my first grader may have been on to something, for there is an important value to the life of the church when relationships and friendships are part of our faith and are part of what we do. In recent weeks, of course, there has been a raging argument in the media as to whether or not the church is an essential business. And this argument has been elevated all the way to the Supreme Court. I imagine if you're with us here this morning, you sense that church is an essential business. And over the last few days, in having to social distance, really over the last few months, it has become apparent to me how essential it is for me to be with other friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. For I reflected this week upon the story of Pentecost and on uh, my own faith in Christ, and I began to ask the question, what is it that makes the church an essential part of my faith? The proclamation of Jesus, of course, can happen outside of the church. I can read my Bible outside of the church. I can share my prayers with God outside of the church. 
We found out in recent weeks we can even worship outside of the church. I can serve others outside of the church. But it strikes me that there is something that I can experience from within the church that truly is essential. And those are the friendships and relationships that bless my faith along the journey. For friendships and relationships really are what make the church an essential business. Do you think the writer of the book of Hebrews knew that? I do. Walk back with me into the scripture passage that Kathy shared with us just a few moments ago. You'll recall that the book of Hebrews in the New Testament was a letter that was circulated amongst the early churches in the first and second centuries after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the letter includes quite a bit of moral exhortations as well as encouragements uh, for the early church. And in this letter, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews shares, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but rather encourage one another and spur one another along toward love and good deeds. And on first glance, you say to yourself, well, that just seems like basic advice and wisdom. Why wouldn't the early church be meeting together? Why would they need a reminder about the value of gathering together as a fellowship? The answer to that question is actually deeply rooted in history. For most scholars in the New Testament, when it comes to the book of Hebrews, would share with you that the writer of this book of Hebrews, when offering up that reminder to meet together as an early church, had in mind a particular cultural phenomenon that was happening in and around the church when it came to those who were practicing other religions. That phenomenon was namely, I faith. For in those days, in and around the church, some of the largest uh, religions that were not of Christ, like uh, those who worshipped Isis or Magna Mater, the mother of the gods, or uh, those who worshipped uh, Artemis or uh, some other god in uh, that particular time, uh, did so with an eye faith. For part of the teaching was that you could come and get the blessing, let's say, of uh, the mother of the gods, and you could go into the temple alone, receive that blessing, and then leave the temple, and you were good. In other words, you did not have to gather as a group or as a family or as a congregation. And what many scholars believe was happening with the early church is that that teaching of other religions began to seep into the doctrine of the early church. Perhaps we can just have God and Christ without the church. And so some early churches would go about practicing their faith, but would do so in a way that was perhaps overly personal or individualistic. I could have a relationship with God and Christ, but there was no need to gather as a fellowship. Hence that phrase, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. And part of what strikes me about that history in the first century is how relevant that is in the 21st century. For we live in a day and age of I everything. iPad, iPhone, why not just have a personal pan pizza and I faith? 
In fact, in recent days on Amazon, they've begun to start selling for $49 a computer program where you can arrange your own church service for yourself. So you can download your favorite preacher and your favorite music and whatever you need and it can come right to you and you can literally have I worship and I faith for $49. And part of what I learned from this culture is how hungry people may be for a faith that moves beyond just I faith. Of course, I faith is not something that is uh, sinful or evil, but it is something that is really, really hard to do, to walk with Christ on that journey alone. For the question often gets asked of me, can I have a relationship with Christ and not go to church? And the answer to that question is, yes, you can, but it's really, really hard on your spiritual walk. And the story that I love to share back with people when they ask me that question is the story of the great evangelist D.L. Moody. Uh, one night, uh, back in the 1960s, Moody found himself on a winter evening in Chicago, uh, sitting around the fire with a man who had stopped practicing his faith in church and shared back with Moody, you know what, I can be as good of a Christian in the church as I can outside the church. And Moody listened to this man's uh, story of sharing about the church and how frustrated he was with it. And after it was all over, Moody just took a pair of tongs near the fireplace and took out one of the hot coals from the fire and rested it on the brick in front of the fireplace. And both men watched it smolder and go out. Oh, said the gentleman who was sharing, I get it now. If you are anything like me, you need friends who help the fire of your faith continue to burn. Friends who encourage you and support you on the journey. And that fire is part of God's intention on Pentecost. The gift of the Holy Spirit came to the people, not just in any old way, but on their tongues so that it would be like fire. In other words, that community would have such strong faith and would continue to burn because they were together. So the Pentecost message that God has put on my heart for all of us today is this. Though those coals may be sitting six feet away, continue to rely on those relationships and friendships in your life of faith that bring you encouragement, strength, and blessing at this time. Many of you have shared back with me that when you're here at church, it seems as though this church family is your family away from family. And that word family is quite a sacred term to use about the church and to use about God's vision for the church. Many years ago, a wonderful scholar uh, by the name of Joseph Kellerman wrote a book entitled When the Church Was a Family. And in that book, he argued that the dominant metaphor for the church uh, throughout the New Testament was that of family. Uh, for example, the Apostle Paul begins his brothers and sisters in Christ uh, letters using family language. And in that book, Kellerman points out that in Paul's writing to the early churches uh, in the New Testament, Paul uses the phrase, our Lord, 
56 times. But Paul only used the phrase, my Lord, one time. Because for the Apostle Paul, what it meant to be the church was to be part of a family. Richard Halbersham, who was the chaplain of the United States Senate back in the late 1960s, uh, shared another thought about the church being a family that really is provocative. He shared that in the first century world, uh, following the death and resurrection of Christ, uh, the church was said to be a family that loved and supported one another. But when the church moved to Greece, it became a philosophy. And then when the church moved to Rome, it became an institution. Then the church moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, the church moved to America, where it became a business. And according to Halbersham, our call from God is to walk with God in such a way that walks with God's people and lives into the vision again of church as family. I want you to think for a moment in recent days and in recent weeks, the way in which your church family has supported you of late, whether it be through phone calls or texts or, or Zooms or one-on-one -on -one meetings from six feet and less than 10. Uh, those relationships really mattered to you, and they were part of your faith in Christ. I can hear my ethics professor in graduate school sharing with us, the fellowship of the church is an extension of the communion table. It's not just the informal stuff that happens before and after church. Rather, it is the stuff that is the key stuff, those relationships and friendships that gives such strength to our faith. Many years ago, a wonderful Christian author by the name of John Ortberg wrote a book entitled The Me I Want to Be. And in that book, Ortberg pointed out one of the scripture passages that we as followers of Jesus often mistake over and over again. We share back with one another that God will never give us more than we can handle. If you are anything like me of late living in this world, you have been given a lot more than you can handle on your own. Whether it be the George Flynn riots or whether it be 40 million people unemployed or the fear of a virus, we are often having to face things that we cannot handle on our own. And as Ortberg rightly points out, when the Apostle Paul wrote that, not only was he talking about temptation, not adversity, but when the Apostle Paul wrote that, he was writing to the Corinthians with an S, to the church. And so rightly interpreted, what that means is we will never be able to experience more than God in God's community, the church, that can handle. For often in our walks of faith, we have a lot more than we can handle on our own. But we never have more that we can handle insofar as we have friends and supportive relationships within the body of Christ. Recently in a ministry magazine that I read, uh, Greg Jones, who is the dean of Duke Divinity School, was teaming up with the leadership and uh, Coach K ethics uh, program at Duke University talking about uh, Christian leaders who will sustain themselves over the long haul of the coronavirus. And they came up with three attributes 
that uh, Christian leaders will have if they want to sustain themselves through the end of the virus. And the second attribute was friendships. If you have friendships and relationships to rely on, surely you will be helped through what you need. You know, a funny story, uh, many years ago at a former church of mine, we embarked on a project to pave the church parking lot. It was back in 2010, and the project was a little bit controversial at the time amongst the members of the church as to whether or not we should go about paving it. Uh, the cost of the project was $35,000, and uh, the church board uh, finally decided that they were going to repave this parking lot for $35,000. and. At the time, I really wasn't too high on it because I thought that there were some uh, other events and, and uh, things in the life of the church where maybe that money could have been uh, better suited for. And I walked out of the meeting after they approved it, and there was an older gentleman in the church, very wise, and I don't mind sharing his name, was uh, Tommy Young. And he approached me and he said, you know, Pastor Mark, you really ought to consider this. Some of the best ministry of this church happens in the parking lot. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, it's in the parking lot before and after worship. And it's in the parking lot before and after Bible study. And in the parking lot before and after choir rehearsal that people ask questions like, how's your arthritis? Or how's your grandson doing? Or what is life really like for you? And those conversations in the church parking lot are absolutely critical to what it means for us to be the body of Christ. And he was absolutely right. That stuff wasn't just the informal stuff that sort of happens. That stuff was the key stuff. That's the kind of stuff that makes the church family essential. As my friend and mentor David Benitsky put it to me years ago about the Holy Spirit, he said, you can have all the programs you want in the church, you can have all the plans you want in the church, but the Holy Spirit always moves in the cracks of the church. It is in the cracks of the church and in those friendships and relationships that make our lives of faith doable, that the Spirit moves and those friends from God are such a blessing. Yesterday, if you were anything like me, you were looking for uh, things to do and you watched the space shuttle launch yesterday afternoon. And as uh, our family was watching the space shuttle launch, uh, I was considering uh, what this kind of meant for us as a country and what this meant uh, to me, as this is certainly an unusual world in which we live with all of the uh, uh, riots and with the coronavirus, uh, this idea of perhaps uh, traveling to another world and escaping I think felt really good to me and to all of us. Uh, hence the uh, enthusiasm behind this space shuttle launch. Uh, kind of like the, the great Christian hymn, I'll fly away. And if I could just fly away right now, that would bring me uh, great peace and comfort. And in thinking about and reflecting upon uh, that launch, I began to start thinking about God's teaching for the church as it relates to another universe. And part of God's intention for the church is to have that other world that we so often long for, that world of heaven, come to earth. 
And one of the key places where we can get a little glimpse of heaven on earth, or a little taste of heaven on earth, is when we gather together as a fellowship with the body of Christ, our friends and family here at the church. I'll close with a story about the early church. Uh, back in 2008, I did some study of the early church in the first century in what is now modern-day Turkey and looked at some of the churches in the book of Revelation, as well as um, uh, uh, what is now modern-day uh, Israel and studying the, the early church. And part of what became apparent to me uh, in studying the early church as it existed alongside these other religions and other cults is that what distinguished the early church from other religions in the first century to which the author of the book of Hebrews uh, may have been uh, relating back to, it was not the promise of the afterlife. In other words, all of the early religions that were competing with Christianity in the first century had some version of the afterlife they were promising. may have been bogus, but they did promise uh, some version of the afterlife. It wasn't that that made Christianity grow like wildflower in the first century. What made Christianity so attractive in the first century under the shadow of the Roman Empire was that you could have the afterlife right now. You could have heaven on earth in a community of people who you found relationships and friendships. And the early church would love one another and encourage one another and forgive one another and serve one another and give to the poor and would live together supporting one another in community. And that was so antithetical to the I faith and I culture of the Roman Empire that the church grew like wildflower in the first few hundred years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven on earth was realized amongst the friendships and relationships of the church. As you go back into a very hard and challenging world this afternoon, go back with your worship bulletin and do not forget the cookie time. <laughs> For you do not go alone. Rather, you go with brothers and sisters in Christ who give you blessing and give you encouragement. For really and truly, it is the friends in these pews that make the church essential. Amen. <laughs>